Hey, sports fans, Kaylee Mizell here. This is Miked Up. And I, I, I know I sound a little bit off. I'm dealing with a little bit of a cold. Bear with me because I have a lot of great stuff to get to today, specifically talking about the lightning. I am joined by guests Brian Ingblom and Jay Retcher. We have a roundtable discussion talking about the lightning the last few seasons, what they did this season, how much there is to be proud of, and all of the pieces, what's going to happen next. I do have to say a programming note. This was recorded the Wednesday before the Lightning started making a bunch of moves. So before we get into the podcast, we are going to talk about the moves that the Lightning made. They sign Nick Paul and just such a great signing. Nick Paul said that he was very, very happy here in Tampa, that he wanted to stay in Tampa. He talked about it with his agent and they made a deal. They made it happen. Nick Paul will be in Tampa for several years. Uh, will be great to have him. He meshed in so well with this Lightning team. Uh, it's just really, really good to see that he's going to be staying here in Tampa. Uh, you know, but but in order to make room for Nick Paul and his seven-year contract extension worth $3.15 million, they had to get rid of some people. Uh, and, and, and first on that list was Ryan McDonough. Uh, and so they traded Ryan McDonough to Nashville. And he's a guy that it, it really just is kind of one of those silent leaders. I would I encourage you, go back and listen to episode one of this podcast. That's with Ryan McDonough. And he's just a great personality kind person, great family man, and really, really was, um, you know, just a guy that, that was beloved in that dressing room. Several, several teammates posted about him and said, he's one of the greatest teammates I've ever had because he truly, truly is kind. He cares. He's a little funny. Um, so you hate to see Ryan McDonough go. Um, but, but in this, uh, cap salary era, you have to figure out a way to make all of this work. And with them getting Nick Paul, uh, they did have to let somebody go. And the other big change that, that we've seen and that I expected was that uh, Derek Lalonde is getting his shot at being a head coach. Um, and it's something that uh, Newsy has said openly that, that that was something, a goal that he that he wanted um, but he's been so proud of his time here in Tampa um, and so excited and, and, and have cherished working under and working with John Cooper. Uh, he said that he learned a lot from from Coop and that he's this is that his time here was really special. Uh, he, he's going to be the, the head coach of the Red Wings. Um, and we, of course, wish him the best of luck. And I encourage you to go back and listen to his episode on the podcast because uh, he also spoke with me in detail uh, about about things about his journey, uh, ab about things that he's learned from uh, John Cooper over the years in coaching. Uh, and his journey is, is really cool. Uh, Newsy, he got offered a job and he thought it was the, it, the, the perfect job. He was going to teach... Um, you know, physical education and coach hockey at this prep school. 
and and he said no and the entire trajectory of his career changed um so really cool story really really happy for uh for newsy really happy for nick paul sad for us at the lightning losing ryan mcdonough but uh but definitely uh excited about what is to come and then of course we've got the draft coming up uh so that's going to be exciting as well so a, a lot to get to uh and we get into a bunch of different things it's fun to have that roundtable discussion and brian and jay have a great uh, relationship and rapport so uh without further ado here is the season recap for the lightning Okay, guys. Well, I'm I'm really pumped to have both of you with me. This is the first time I've had two guests on at once, and you guys already know each other and have good rapport. So I'm really excited to to get into it today to talk a little bit, maybe bust each other's chops a little bit. That's it's all good and fun uh, here on Miked Up. So uh, first, I just want to look back and and kind of reflect on this season. I think that there's a lot to be proud of as. Um, as the media covering the lightning as a, as a player, the organization, the coaching staff and the fans. And I think that we've seen that through and through. They're really, really proud of what they were able to accomplish over the last few seasons and really proud of the effort that they were able to put up this season. Brian, when you look back and, and reflect upon this season, what in, in kind of using that proud word, like what do you think as a player, these guys are most proud of? Getting back to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, there's no doubt about that. When you are defending Cup champ once, it's one thing. When you're defending Cup, Cup champ twice, that's a whole nother thing again. So it, it amplifies us each year. Um, starts right in October where teams want to knock you off the top. Um, and so you deal with that every game. And it, it just builds and builds. And so you have to get yourself into the playoffs. Um, but the, once you get in there, uh, the it's the first two rounds for me that always are the most pressure because everybody expects you to just get through them. Well, you're a Stanley Cup champ, right? I mean, you're supposed to. And, it, and if you don't, you lose in the first round, you're a chump. And, and it, you know, it's only one letter difference. But, you know, it travels a long way and, and it's embarrassing. And you don't want that embarrassment. So it's a combination of fear of losing and, you know, searching for that great taste in your mouth that you have from having one twice in a row. And they were able to do that all the way up to the end uh, and just kind of ran out of gas. So, I mean, there's a lot to be proud of there. Jay, similarly, I mean, the, the guys spoke yesterday and they, that that was, again, the resounding word. that They were really proud of their effort, that the effort that they put forth and that there's a lot to continue to build off of with this core here. Uh, as someone who has covered the team um, from a media perspective, what do you look back upon and, and reflect on this season? Well, I think it's a lot. It's been a, it's been such a crazy journey this whole year long. Um, I think back to the outdoor game in Nashville. I mean, that was a real, I think it meant a lot to the guys to be able to play in an outdoor game, to come away with the victory, uh, to spend their time in Nashville. You know, some of the guys were doing karaoke the, the night after the game and, you know, I was out there in Vegas as well for the all-star game too. And I know being there with Stammer and Hetty and Vazzy and just those guys, they were so proud. And, you know, you mentioned the guys talking yesterday and Andre Vasilevsky is not a guy that speaks uh, very often and he doesn't say too much, but he said it in Vegas during the all-star game. And he also said it in the exit interview and 
he spoke and he always mentions the city of Tampa and how proud he is to represent our community. And I think that's one thing that throughout this entire run, uh, it's a whole community, right? Bolts Nation is not just something that is just a, just a phrase thrown in there. This Team Tampa Bay slogan, you see the Rays players, you see the Bucks players, like everybody is so involved in this team, in this whole organization. And it's just, it's a really is a rallying cry. And once the playoff hits, I don't care what else is going on on the outside, you know, all eyes are on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And for them to be able to persevere, especially game six, it looked bleak there against Toronto. And then that five on three goal by Nikita Kucherov, that was kind of like almost like the backs against the wall rallying, come back, Nick Paul wins. And then boom, then it started rolling downhill and then everything else started to happen. And Man, just you saw the guys after the loss, Hetty and Stammer especially, and they were drained, man. It's been a long couple of years, but they are proud because they know that they didn't leave any mental stone unturned. They gave it everything they had, but it also wasn't, there wasn't a sense of finality like there was last year when you knew that that third line was going. There was a lot of talk of, we'll be back. There's plenty of pieces still in play. And I tell you what, when you have 88 between the pipes, uh, you got a chance, as good a chance as anybody to be able to be a contender in the next in the season coming up after that. Yeah, and we're going to get into to some of that stuff here in a bit, but I want to kind of zoom in a little bit more specifically on this Stanley Cup final uh, a- after the Game Six loss when the Avs won. I think that there was, of course, sadness and and frustration and. Um, you know, they they clearly did not expect to lose game six. Um, they really put their best foot forward. Um, but we did hear from from both the coaching staff and some and from some of the players that, you know what, they ran into into a better team. And you gotta give Colorado credit for that. Um when when you're looking at that Stanley Cup final, Brian, are there moments in time that kind of from my perspective, I see that, you know. Colorado did have a lot of effort and, and it did seem at times like they were really controlling the game. They also got some like greasy goals. They also got like some bounces that went their way. And in, you know, John Cooper said it after the game, like, Hey, look, like sometimes you get the bounces and sometimes you don't. And I'm not saying that as an excuse, but what I, I guess the question I'm wondering is, how much better was Colorado? Like, I, I think that these two teams were matched up really well. Is it just a case, Brian, of they ran into a better team? Well, Colorado deserved the win for sure. Um, the way they played, that they were on a mission. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, uh, it was Nathan McKinnon led them because right from the time they lost out last year, he he said he was sick of losing. That's it. You know, I'm I'm done with this. So he was really driven to to get that cup, and he was he was willing to do whatever it took. And his leadership meant an awful lot. Um, having said that, yeah, they had the speed, they had skill, um, they had the the determination. The playoffs are a, a lot more about will than skill, actually. Um, and it's it it is the marathon that everybody says it is, and it's also a battle of attrition. And unfortunately for the Lightning. Um, that battle of attrition really, you know, played a huge role for them. When Braden Point was, you know, only able to play a handful of games, um, that's like taking Nathan McKinnon out of the lineup for Colorado. You know, he's the transmission of the offense. Uh, he's the leading goal scorer the last two years in the playoffs with 14 goals each. 
and plus all the other assists and, and, and the threat factor alone, even if he wasn't on a hot streak of scoring, um, it, it changes everything. And then you have guys like Sorelli, you know, at the end, both shoulders are done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nick Paul, who had a bad shoulder and, and, uh, uh, a bad knee, um, on and on. Uh, Belmar had a bad knee. Kucherov had a bad knee. Um, all these things, you know, it, it's there's nothing you can do about it. The playoffs are all stone Stanley Cup. That's why they say it's the hardest trophy to win because it is so long. You know, you have to win 16 games. You know, there's nothing else really like it. And when you have such physical contact, it's second only to football when it comes to to football to uh, contact as well. So you have all these things coming into play and you it's, it's about who gets hurt and who gets hot. And, and then, you know, you, you need to have some fortunate bounces along the way. All those things are really big factors of who's going to win. And the lightning would say, you know, looking back to prior two years that um, they had those things, they sure they were banged up and look at, you know, Victor Hedman um, had to have his knee, sur- you know, knee surgery a couple of days after they won the cup. But they were able to get through. Stamkos wasn't able to play that one two years ago, except for that one uh, incredible shift where he scored. Uh, so they were able to manage that. And they got their breaks and they won the overtime games. The interesting thing for me, too, was that uh, the power play and the penalty killing, which propelled them through and put them over the top in so many of the series when they won the cup. And even in the first three rounds of the playoffs, it's it's the, the one of the biggest factors that that came back around and kicked them because their special teams uh you know went went into the tank for too long and uh Colorado was better in that department and so those few goals looked at you know four goal four games were by one goal two of them were overtime losses to Colorado so when you don't have those special teams um really clicking that made a difference as well it sure did yeah. And, and, and like I said, that's not, nothing of that is like an excuse, but I just wanted to get your, your insights into that because um, yeah, I agree with you. Colorado deserved to win that series. I also, you know, if the power play got hot, if there was, you know, if there was a few other little things, I think that it could have easily gone Tampa's way as well. Um, but like you said, Brian, it is, it is the hardest trophy in sports to win for a reason. Um, and, and Jay, after, after they lost, Pat Maroon looked at us in the media and he said, you guys are going to be shocked. You're going to be shocked when, when it comes out, all of the injuries that we've dealt with. And, and Brian alluded to it, but this was a banged up team. This is a team that has played more hockey than any other team in the last few years. And on top of that, if you really think about it, they played basically two seasons in a year you know, because of the short 56 game season within four months, they won that cup. You know, they have played so much hockey. They've had hardly any time off. Um, And so they've been banged up pretty good. And then coming into this full, you know, 82 game season and then going the entire way all the way to game six at the Stanley cup final, they are a banged up team. Um, Were you shocked Jay? Like when you saw all of those reports come out when, when Julian Breezewall starts saying like, yeah, this guy had this and this guy had this and this guy had this. How shocking was that to you to know that this team got this far, this banged up? I mean, that's a great, I mean, I wasn't surprised about the injuries because you could see the guys walking and, you know, every, 
it seemed like every guy had a little bit of a hitch in their giddy up. I think the one shocking thing about the injury list is that Eric Chernak wasn't on there. I mean, the guy <laughs> left, I mean, it's, it's amazing. He's got to be a cyborg. There's no way he's from planet earth. Uh, Victor Hedman, another guy. I mean, there was some people that think that Hedy wasn't the same player after that high hit from Lafreniere in the Rangers series. But, you know, I look at this team and the more and more we talk about it, guys, what other team is going to be able to get to game six of the Stanley Cup final in the third year, right, uh, of trying to go back to back to back after almost losing in the first round, after being down two games to nothing and also two zero in game three to the Rangers, losing their number one center, dealing with all the injuries, not having any bounces go their way in the Stanley Cup final, uh, losing tight games, not winning the special teams battle. I mean, when you put all that stuff in a row, you think about it and you go, that team, if, if I didn't tell you what happened, I didn't tell you what team was, you'd probably go, well, that team got swept, right? Everything went, went against them. They got blown out in game two. That was one of the worst games I was ever in the, and Brian, you were there. I mean, to be in the building, yeah, yeah. to watch that team get smoked like that, it was like, you felt so bad for them, but you're like, we have to sit here. Everybody's like, I'm signing off. I'm not watching this anymore. I'm like, I'm at the arena. I ain't going nowhere. I have to watch this entire yeah, but thing. You, Jay, Jay, you know what? That just shows you how strong they are, though, too, exactly. because – they, they did. It's true what you say. It doesn't matter if you lose seven, nothing, or if you lose mm-hmm. by one goal in five overtimes, it it's only one game and you just go on to the next one. So the, the important thing was the next game, right? And they rebounded yep. and they turned it right back around. So that, that to me showed an awful lot about the willpower of the lightning, the mental so strength. Look at, yeah, exactly. But look at how many, t- that goes into exactly what you're saying. How many other teams would have folded up shop after that? They right. had all the excuses. They had all the reasons to give in and not to, to play their best. They could have gave in in game three. They didn't. They could have game it. They could have packed it in in game five. That could have been it right there, right? In most salutations, that was one of their best games of the playoffs. I, I'm just so impressed. I know a lot of people nowadays, they're so black and white. They don't like silver linings. But, man, what an accomplishment for this team with all they went through in this season, all the last three seasons, to make it to game six of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, kudos and a tip of the hat to the organization because they definitely represented the team and also this city very well. Yeah, Jay. Hey, and just for, just for a second there, Kaylee, uh, I, I just want to go back to that 7 nothing loss again. Yeah. Um, th- there were some, some really interesting factors in that one because there were Twitter was blowing up. There were a lot of people saying, how did John Cooper leave Vasilevsky as number one goaltender in for all seven games? And it's really interesting, the tactics and the mentality. Now, there was an understanding there, obviously, about Vasi's mentality. He never wants to come out. He doesn't want to be pulled. And there are, I know there are players, and I'm, I, I, I would put myself in that category, too, where you go, well, the goaltender goes down, you know, with the rest of us, you know, if you're not playing well. Uh, but there are other factors, too. You know, sometimes it's like, okay, the guy's hurting a little bit. He's playing hurt. You got to get him out of there. But what it, what it was interesting to me is because there was so much publicity the next day about, wow, they got seven on Vasilevsky, the best goaltender in the world. Everybody's been talking about it. But they didn't pull him. Coop didn't pull him. So he was still in there all the way. Like, you're not going to get the satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Then what happens right away in the, in the next game is that the, the Lightning have a great game and Colorado pulls their number one guy almost yeah. right away, right? Mm-hmm. So they had a different situation where they almost said, like, their people were guessing who was going to start the series. 
you know, was it going to be one A? Was it going to be one B? What was going to happen? How short a leash? And as soon as things start to go sideways, they pulled their goalie. Well, it turned out okay for them in, in the long run, for sure. But I found that a really interesting tactic. And I thought, good for you, John Cooper, and even more so for Vasilevsky, uh, that they said, okay, you got seven on me, but this won't even matter. And then you come back and win game four the way they did. And I think that shows the confidence in this, in this group, in this team. And I think that that confidence is also why that they really didn't expect to lose game six. Like they, they really didn't. They're a very confident group. They're a proud group. They, they know what they have. They know the talent that they have. And I think that they're um, very both. What both of you guys have alluded to is that they're a mentally tough group. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. in, in speaking and covering the team over the last few years and speaking to the coaching staff, I attribute some of that mental toughness to the coaching staff. I think that that when I've spoken to Derek Lalonde, whenever I've spoken to John Cooper, they emphasize the mental part of this game so much. And of course there's like physical strategies and there's things that you want to do and there's structure and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that that's not important, but when you have guys who are as talented as Andre Vasilevsky and Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, up and down the line, we can name all these guys, right? When you have guys that are that talented, and, and you alluded to it before, Brian, it's, it's will. It is will more than skill. They have the skill. They've had the skill for a long time. And what they learned after the, the sweep of, in, in Columbus was that they needed the will. They needed the mental fortitude to climb and get to that mountain, right? Um, I, I like, like I said, I attribute a lot of that to the coaching staff and efforts that the coaching staff has really made in the last few years to make this group mentally tough. And that's why I think this group is going to be successful for a long time. That's why I think this group is going to be a dynasty. Um, Brian, when kind of going off of that when you look at this team and in, into the future they still have very very skilled members they still have that will to win john cooper is still here they have a lot of pieces still intact T- to me it seems like again kind of like sky's the limit like they're gonna get they're gonna get a, a normal summer break and then come back and and they still want to win Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. <clears throat> Once you get that taste, um, you you want it again and again. Uh, that's for sure. Um, you bring up the coaching staff, and it's interesting. And Jay, you know, we're going to be looking at this too, right? Because there's a lot of talk that that uh, Jeff Halpern and Derek Lalonde may be, you know, interviewing for a job or two uh, as head coach around the league, and you know that could certainly change things. Who put together a staff that you know he has connections to, and that uh, he obviously really likes and they have all the pieces they feel like they need. It'll be interesting to see moving forward here if all the pieces are going to be there um, next year. Yeah, it's a great point, Brian. And, you know, Ian and I were talking about this the other day, too, about how you have a coach this year, but the assistant coaches, there's such a huge part of it. And also your former coaches as well. And, you know, we think about the assistant coaches now, but I think back to guys like Todd Richards, who's no longer with here. I think back to a guy like Rick Bonus, who was in charge of the defense years ago that was right there with Victor Hedman. And then I also think even farther back and think about guys like 
who did Ryan McDonough play for in New York? He played for a guy like Jordan Tortorella, went to the Stanley Cup final. And that kind of mindset, bringing guys yeah. like Ryan Callahan over here and showing the guys, like, this is the way you have to play if you're going to be a winner. So, you know, the old adage of it, it takes a village. I mean, there's a lot of coaches along the way. And Coop always does such a great job of fortifying his coaching staff with those type of guys where it doesn't always have to be all styles, you know, flash and dash kind of things. It's the mental aspect of the game. And, you know, he, he talked about Pat Maroon in the playoffs a little bit about, you know, we have a lot of character in the room, but he's like, he's a character. And I, I took the first part and everybody was looking at the second part of that comment. I was looking at the first part and, and there's a lot of, I don't know if stoic is the right word, but there is a lot of calm presences in that room. You don't have to have a lot of guys that are beating their chest. I mean, think about the quiet leadership in that room. I mean, Andre Palat's not a guy that's going to talk your ear off. I mean, you just think about McDonough's not the loudest guy in the world. Even Stammer's not really like that guy. Sorelli, Hedman, like these are quite, Brian, you know, you know, these are not the loudest guys out there. Yeah. When you get them one-on-one, it's a little bit different. Pointer's another example. So a lot of their big time leaders are like that. Yeah, you have to have guys like Maroon, guys that you yeah. know that wear wear purple shoes, you know, <laughs> and that it, that come in into the room, you know, and they're just different. Like uh, Jay Retcher, you know, he's, <laughs> he's the one that comes into the room wearing purple shoes right. and, and dynamic ties and everything else. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, people don't get to see it often <laughs> enough. But you know, absolutely, you need that. You need those guys that 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 change the atmosphere and are willing to speak up and know have a sense and that's experience uh pat maroon doesn't get enough credit i mean we're not in the room but you, you know things leak out right and you can tell that he says the right things at the right time and like after when you lose the game seven nothing you know it's like okay you know it's over and you can almost sort of you know joke about it after an hour or so right mm-hmm. and those kind of things because you just have to let the pressure off because everybody's thinking the same thing so he's he's that offbeat guy and also on the ice, right? You see him all the time. He never stops talking. That's why it's <laughs> it's fun to be in between the benches at ice level because Maroon never stops yapping at the other team and vice versa. So he's he's just like Corey Perry. And Pierre-Edouard Belmar's line about Corey Perry would be true about Pat Maroon to a T also. I love that line. I don't think I'll ever forget it. He said it about Corey Perry. He said he absorbs a lot of hate. And I went, that is brilliant. And so Perry and Maroon, in their own ways, absorb a lot of hate from the other team. And in the playoffs, boy, is that ever valuable. It's interesting that you mentioned both Corey Perry and Pierre-Edouard Belmar, because when Jay was talking about like the stoic leaders uh, and, and then mentioned Pat, I was thinking that, yeah, when they added in Corey Perry and Pierre-Edouard Belmar, those two guys are, are both kind of characters in their own right to a degree as well because, uh, you know, with their personalities. So they're a little bit more maybe outspoken than some of the other guys that you mentioned and really, really great additions to the team this year. I think they really helped this team go as far as they did. No, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, go ahead, Jay. No, I was just going to say, you're totally right. That school bus line, I know they broke them up a little bit there because of the injury to point. But, I mean, I tell you what, in game five in Colorado, to me, the best line was the fourth line. Riley Nash, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, and Pat Maroon. Maroon was all over the place. He was yapping. That was a Pat Maroon type of game. And, 
you know, kudos to Riley Nash. I mean, he was the guy that came in and he could have looked out of place. And I thought he gave light, the Lightning some really, really good minutes. And he injected some life. He's not a guy that's known with this blazing speed. But Julian Brisebois, I mean, it always goes back to him, guys, right? I mean, you think about it. The deals that he makes, it's, it's not just, all right, finding the gems, finding the Nick Paul or finding the Hagel or the Goodrow. Or the, sometimes it's just like bringing in the veteran piece. Like Pat Maroon wasn't, yeah, he won the Stanley Cup. It was nice. Nobody thought that Pat Maroon would have the impact that he did, even though he was a Stanley Cup champion. I mean, he, he's one of the most beloved figures in the history of Tampa Bay sports, not Tampa Bay lightning history. In Tampa Bay sports history, people will always remember the big rig Pat Maroon. He became Florida, man. He's a guy that's from St. Louis. Think about that. <laughs> to bring in Belmar, to bring in Perry, like even a guy like Jan Ruda years ago, the trade for left-handed defenseman on the blue line, forgot who his name was, but there was a trade there. You bring in Jan Ruda. Listen, Victor Hedman's play always seems to even itself out when Ruda comes back. Ruda's that solid guy. And Brian, you and I talked about this ad nauseum and we asked you on Beckles and Retro months ago. People want to know. It's it's so hard to tell how important a stay-at-home defenseman is because you can't judge based on points because those guys don't score a lot. But he's steady Eddie, and he scored that goal to start game five. So, Breezeball, it's not always just about bringing in those guys that are top six guys. Chemistry. He knows how to, yeah, he knows what pieces fit with everything else and to get the most out of those players. Well, you know, you have to, chemistry is the most uh, undescribable thing uh, mm-hmm. for a GM. And the teams that are really good teams to get them to that next level. That's the hardest job of a GM. When you're building a team that's in shambles and you're building it up, you got a big margin for error. Almost anything is going to be better than what you got, right? So you get some draft picks and you bring in some big name players like, mm-hmm. oh, this guy, this guy's great. Well, now you get a team that's, you know, in the top 10% or so, and you think you have a legitimate shot, but you know you're missing one or two pieces. How do you get those pieces, especially in a salary cap? That's for yeah. sure. So that's, that's the difference. And the chemistry gets overlooked. You keep plugging in numbers and numbers and numbers. Like money balls important, but at the same time, mm-hmm. yeah, Pat Maroon came in because you're trying to get the chemicals right without blowing up the lab. And it's a very fine line because every year you'll see teams that are, it could be in football too, it could be in baseball, I'm yeah. sure as well, where you, you need that last one or two players. Who are they? How can I get them? And can you get them? And if you get the wrong players because their personalities don't fit, and that does happen. Um, and then, you know, GMs make their deals and then they sit back and go, okay, they cross their fingers and hope the coaches can get them over the, over the goal line. Um, but in like in Maroon's case though, too, he had an advantage because they knew they needed that. And he had played for Cooper, right. In the North that American hockey true. league and had, and had won championships. So Coop knew him really well. And I, I know he went to bat for him and said, we need this guy because they needed his toughness too. And, and that was an important factor going back to, you know, three and four years ago where they needed a guy like Pat Maroon before he came here. They needed a Barclay guy who Goodrow knew how to and, win. And Blake yeah. Coleman. Yep. Yeah. Look at, look at Goodrow and Coleman, the impact that they had this year. I mean, oh, sure. Goodrow, good. I mean, the Rangers probably overpaid for Barclay Goodrow, but they knew they needed that type of guy. Of course they brought in Ryan Reeves too, but you're talking about a team that didn't make the playoffs. And then a team that went to the Eastern Conference final. Look at Blake Coleman with Calgary. He goes in there. They were one of the sure. toughest teams. To, I know they they didn't have the playoff success that they wanted, but 
Brian, you watched you know, all the teams this year. Calgary was one of those teams where it was at times they were one of the hardest teams to play against because they were just yeah. after you and after you and after you. And with yeah. Sutter up there, you know, he's you know, he's yeah. got the experience. And that's he's why he wanted Blake Coleman, exactly. right? Because exactly. you wanted that that fresh winning experience. Mm -hmm. And same thing with the Rangers. Mm -hmm. um, they, that's why they wanted Barkley Goodrow. And they both fit in extremely well because they're the type of players that aren't going to fit in every well, every, anywhere. And th they they have that fresh winning experience and that drive still to, to win again. So those are important pieces. And, and they earned their money because they were winners too. There used to be a saying back in the day, Jay, that all the old owners back in the NHL said they wanted to get all the way to the Stanley Cup finals and get every home game and then lose so that they wouldn't have to pay top dollar to the guys <laughs> whose contracts were up, right? Say, well, you didn't win it all, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. But but you point. mentioned that winning experience and that, that maybe that's why they, you know, they, they paid for that. And I think that to your guys' point, that's why bringing in Pat Maroon was so integral a few years ago because I remember times during that 2020 season where, um, you know, we're, we're talking to, to some of these guys. Specifically, I remember after the dad's trip to St. Louis, they lost to, to St. Louis. And I remember hearing a story that Pat Maroon, they saw some of the Blues players out and and the way that they handled themselves or something. And Pat Maroon, maybe you told me the story, Brian, but Pat Maroon pointed over and said, you see those guys? Those, that's what winners look like. That's, that's how winners act. We need to be that. Like, if we're going to win, this is how we need to be. And you, you bring a guy in who's done it, who's climbed the mountain, who's won. And I think that that adds so much. Uh, but, but, like, alternatively as well, you know, this is a group of veterans. There are some of these guys who, who you know, are a little bit older in the league. And so then you bring in a guy like Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel, and that adds that freshness as well. So, I mean, to like you guys are both saying, Julian Brisebois, I, I think that he's very much a mastermind in this. Um, bringing in Nick Paul fits so well. Bringing in, you know, the young freshness of, of Brandon Hagel fit in so well with that um, Sorelli and Kalorn line. They looked great together. Um, it really did a lot for this team back before the trade deadline. Yeah, it's, it's the whole staff. I mean, you have to have your scouts out there, you know, scouting all the teams in the league and, and looking for those, those pieces that you think you need. Uh, and then Julian being able to, to make the deals to, to make it right. And you get criticized right away if you don't win. And he's got the, you know, the added advantage now, but you have to go out on a limb. It goes back to what I said before. When you're one of the top teams, but you know you're missing one or two things, how do you get it done? And if you don't, everybody said, because you don't get something for nothing. So if you trade away draft picks or whatever, everybody's ready to come right back at you and say, oh, wow, now you've given away draft picks and you didn't win. And now you don't have those picks. And what are you going to do later? I mean, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking is the easiest thing in the world. Um, so you have to have some guts and you have to, you know, believe in what you're doing. And, and you have to have good people who have looked at these guys and went, yeah, that's the guy we need. He fits all the criteria. Uh, and Julian is really a heck of a, a, a GM. There's no doubt. He learned his craft and, and uh, he is a very smart man. And that means that the team's going to be good for a really long time, too. 
So taking a look at these pieces, uh, we heard ye- uh, yesterday from Julian Brisebois. He said that he wants to keep Jan Ruda. He wants to keep Andre Palat, and he wants to keep Nick Paul. And all three have expressed the want to also stay here in Tampa. Um, and he said that he thinks that he can get all all of those deals done. We're hopeful. Um what do you think that that would mean, Jay, to, to bring those three guys back? We've mentioned all three of those guys. They're incredible players, and I think they bring a lot to this Lightning team. Well, first off, I'd love to be 6'5 and go in time machine and go play on the Canadians teams with Brian and win the Stanley Cup, but unfortunately, we don't, we don't get the benefit uh, of doing that. Listen, if there's one general manager that can do it, it's Julian Breezeball. But the problem is, is that with the salary cap the way it is, you're going to have to subtract some guys. And, and unfortunately, uh, you can't bring the same guys back. Uh, you know, So, yeah, you like to bring those guys back. And everybody in their ex- – I don't know if I've heard many players in their exit interviews ever go, yeah, I really didn't like it here. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to come back. It's, see you guys. You know, who wants to leave Tampa anyway? But it's funny that you say that because I saw Nick Paul after all the interviews and he was walking out and he looked so happy. He was like doing like a little stick handle move. He has a Florida hat now and he was like smiling. And I'm thinking to myself, he doesn't look like a guy that's given the old. This was nice. He was he had that look of like, (laughs) I want to come back here. You know, he just he didn't look like it was the last time he was going to be in the building. Now, with that being said, if somebody comes on and goes, Hey, Nick Paul, here's a contract for four years and 6.2 million or something like that. I mean, tough to turn that down. Uh, the no state in- income tax definitely helps. Uh, so that's where Florida, you know, teams like the Panthers and the Lightning have the advantage over some other teams, but it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. You know, maybe not those guys. like Rude, I don't think is going to be a problem. If Rude's going to be back, he'll be back. Yeah, they'll find a way. He's not going to break the bank anyway. But I find it hard, Brian. I don't know if you you agree with me or not, but the way he played down the stretch and the more I think you talked about his history with this team, it's tough to think that Andre Palat's not going to be on this team somehow next year because, man, he's such an integral part. And it seems like throughout the history of this time with the team, when other guys have gone down, when there's been a little static play, 18 has been that guy. He's played good, solid defense. He's good, you know, he scores big goals. Remember when he went through that scoring streak in the in the regular season, you and I were, right. oh, man. And then he turned it around and he found the back of the net and we're going, oh, man, you know, you look at his end total, you would never know that he went through a long streak. So, again, I go back to my, my first statement. It's not likely, but if there's one general manager that can finagle his way and bring back as many pieces as possible, it's the aforementioned Julian Breezeblatt. Andre Palat's a clutch guy. I mean, he's proven that. I mean, he got votes for the Smythe Trophy this year. I mean, that pretty much tells you. Uh, when push comes to shove and you're in the playoffs and everything, he has scored so many big goals over the last three years, including this year. He had a fantastic playoff. Um, and, yeah, he is the kind of guy you absolutely want to have on your team all the time. He doesn't say much. He's no maintenance at all. He's just all good news as far as the coaching staff goes. And... So why would you not want him back? But yeah, it's it's the dollar threshold and, and what can they do there? How much he's going to have to take a hometown discount. I think mm-hmm. all things considered, how much will he take, you know, if he stays? But he's also the type of guy that, you know, just looking at his personality, he's one of those that is likely to say, hey, I like it here. I love Tampa. This is a great team. 
Um, the grass is not always greener somewhere else. Um, I don't, I, I've already made really good money and I'm gonna be fine for the rest of my life. I just like a couple more years and a couple of more chances to win Stanley Cups here. I could see Andre Palat being that guy for sure. What that dollar figure is, can they do it? I don't know. They want to keep Nick Paul. And how much are they going to have to pay for Nick Paul? Because he's going to go up at least double and beyond probably his current salary. And so that's a big difference already because they're right at the line. They're, they're, they're always going to be right at the maximum of the salary cap. So if some guy, any one guy's salary doubles, you're, you already have an issue. Jan Ruda will fit in there. Yeah, they pretty much know the level, and so does Jan. If he wants to come back for another year, he knows the financial level he's probably going to be at. Unless somebody waves some more money at him, he might say, yeah, okay, that's it, I'm done. You know, I, I won, um, I did this, whatever, I'll take the rest of my money. Everybody's different. You can't, you, you can't, everybody's individual situation by age, et cetera. And you're always calculating your, you know, your, your, uh, your money for sure. Uh, but I, I, I think the Nick Paul number is the key one in many ways. And le look, let's face it too. They need fresh blood. You need a little fresh blood uh, each season. Yeah. You keep the core together. Uh, and Andre Pallad again is a very important cornerstone player. In, in, in that group. Um, so a really tough decision here. Do they make some room? Maybe, maybe there's a deal to be made this summer involving some guys and they bring in some, some uh, younger players. They're going to need some speed by next year too. And I think mm -hmm. that's the one lesson they'll be looking at going, that's where we were hurting. Yes, we were banged up. And yes, we weren't at maximum efficiency because of all the guys that were hurt and were missing. But at the same time, I think you see the game is getting faster and faster, and you're going to need some fresh young blood with some really good legs, some some wheels, in in order to add to this team as well. Brian, Kaylee, if I could jump in, I want to ask Brian this question: Do you think that Colorado was the only team that could have beat the Lightning in the final this year? I just feel like the reason why I say that is because I feel like because what you just said there with the speed, I feel like with everything that the Lightning have gone to, the one team that was really going to give them trouble, it was going to be a team that could really work and they can team that can really skate and get up and down the ice. Do you think Colorado, I mean, was there anybody else out there in the West? I mean, you could say Edmonton, but you know where their deficiencies are there with depth scoring, maybe on the blue line, obviously between the pipes, but I know they were the last team standing, but it just seemed like that was, if there was one team, it seemed like when it was all said and done that we're really going to give the Lightning trouble, it was going to be Colorado. Yeah, I mean, they were picked because of the way the team was built. Yeah. Uh, Joe Sackick and his team um, really put together uh, a terrific hockey team on the ice. And that's very obvious. From top to bottom, they had all the elements. Mm -hmm. Joe Sackick's no dummy. I mean, he played on championship teams. He knows exactly what it takes, that you do need all these different pieces and you need the depth. Uh, and you need the disappointment. And we, you know, we talked about Nathan McKinnon and his attitude at, right after they lost last year, that driving force, that internal force that came from, from Nathan McKinnon um, really uh, spurred them on in a lot of ways. So, so they, they were ready. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And the fact that they won two series and four games straight, uh, I, I don't know that anybody else out there in the West would have been uh, near, nearly as good as Colorado. So I would say no, um, but each situation is different. 
once you get to the Stanley Cup finals, say, say it was St. Louis. St. Louis, you know, their core guys are not far removed from having won the Stanley Cup as well. If they could have gotten themselves to the Stanley Cup finals, I guarantee you that will over skill, they would they know exactly what, what mm. that means. And so they would have been a tough out for sure. Edmonton, a totally different scenario. Two superstar players and some great talent and scoring and all that with you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl. But they they don't know exactly what they're doing yet uh, in key situations in games and in series. And that showed. And that's why they didn't beat Colorado. So, and, and Colorado showed them a pretty good lesson as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, you know, Colorado was the team coming out of the West. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's a great question, Jay. But I think looking at this Lightning team, looking at what they have, I think that I agree with you, Brian. I think that probably Colorado was the only team. I'm interested because uh, you mentioned that speed. And, and, and of course, Colorado did have that speed. That was a pretty key factor of the Lightning a few years ago um, in that 62-win season. I think something that we all said about this Lightning team was that they were so fast, they were so skilled, that they were able to play um, this, you know, just, just such skilled hockey. Um, but but something that they lacked in that season was maybe a little bit of physicality, a little bit of toughness. And so they brought that in. Do you think that there's that maybe they leaned too far? Like, is that a lesson learned of that? Maybe they leaned too far this season specifically into the toughness and maybe not as much into the speed. No, I mean, the margin for error here was pretty small. Um, they, they didn't lose. They didn't get blown out. You know, they didn't lose in four straight and they didn't lose by three and four goals um, every game. Then I would say, yeah. So, no, I'm not saying that they lean too far the other way. The other factors that we talked about, the injuries and the guys missing. And when you miss a key, one key player, as good as he is, Braden Point, that makes a big difference. <clears throat> Excuse and me. talk about a speedy player and Braden huge, Point. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it changes everything. You know? So you, you have to be fortunate. Um, I, I, all I'm saying is that moving forward here, too, the speed element is, is very important. Um, and so they're going to have to make sure that they have enough speed in the lineup. Look, you have teams every year that you say, uh, Jay, we'll talk about your Islanders here. You know, we say all the time about the Islanders, and it's true that they are built for the playoffs. But I think they have to make a tweak or two to bring in a little more, you know, sort of upscale uh, scoring talent that maybe is not in your Islander mode, put it that way. They, they need another Matt Barzell kind of game or a goal scorer, somebody who can really finish because you have to get there. You have to get into playoffs. There's so much parity that getting to the playoffs is an issue. And yeah, once they get there, they'll build for the playoffs, but all well and good. You, players will not grind. They're not going to grind for 82 games. You can't have a team anymore. I'm totally convinced of that over the last many years. You can't grind away for 82 games. The players just won't put up with it. You have to have enough skill. That skill will win you some games in November and January. Yeah, it's a great point, too. And with a guy like Barzell, I feel like there's such a big disparity between his skill set and everybody else on the team that at times it's kind of a one-on-four type mentality, and that's what really hurts them. And people will say, oh, well, Barry Trotz did this, and oh, yeah, look at you know the defensive style. Well, let's not forget, Barry Trotz won a Stanley Cup, and he had Alexander Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and Backstrom and TJ Oshie on his team, too. Right. So, yeah, they played a much more defensive game. Kind of going back to what you were saying, too, Kelly, with the speed. I mean, you look at that team in 2019, 
I mean, when you lose guys like Matthew Joseph and Yanni Gord and then later on in Blake Coleman, I mean, those are three very speedy type players. But speed doesn't always mean that you're going to be the better team. And I don't know if you guys agree with me, but, you know, we were kind of going over this over the last couple of weeks or so. You could argue that the Lightning had didn't have the speed advantage in any of the four series that they played. I mean, you could argue that Toronto was a faster team than them. You could argue that Florida was the fastest team, a lot of people would say, this year. The Rangers look faster than Absolutely. them through two and a half games, and we know yep. Colorado was probably the fastest team in the NHL. So the Lightning still, with having the speed disadvantage, for lack of a better term, in all four series, still went to game six of the Stanley Great Cup point. final. And kind of what you said too, Brian, is you know what happens is you get this whole way and you come up two games short and people want to analyze the team like, what the heck went wrong? Well, if you have one bounce go this way, one bounce go the other way, people aren't being as critical and people aren't looking over it with the fine-tooth comb as much going, oh, well, what went wrong? I mean, you're right, right. The margin for error was so close. And when you're one of the final two teams standing and you play in the last game of the year, that means you had a great season. So I, I think the margin for error was very, very small to slight team. Yeah, I know, I know going into game six, um, Kale McCarr and Taves, the two in the part the top D pair, they were each minus three, and McKinnon was minus two at even strength. Mm -hmm. So that shows you that the tactics and the way that the Lightning played defensively, the way they defended against those star players was getting it done. I didn't update it. And I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not sure exactly in the last game whether they were on for you know even strength or whatever, but still they would probably still be minus players in the, and, and, and look how fantastic yeah. everybody was talking yeah. about, especially McCarr, right? And McKinnon. Oh yeah, he won the Cosmite. At, yeah. e at even strength, at even strength, they're being outscored by, by the Lightning. So all the things were there. They, they accomplished the things that they wanted to do um, in, in many ways. They just came up a little short because, you know, special teams were a factor for sure. Uh, that could have put them over the top. It, it happens. Yeah. You know, we've seen them do it where they go on runs and their power play, their power play destroyed Florida two years in a row, two years in a row. I mean, you go back to that, uh, you know, we were hoping that the series against Florida this year was going to be like it was last year. It wasn't. And it just shows you how adaptable your team has to be as well, too, because sometimes what you think is going to happen doesn't happen. You have to be able to play more than one way. You have to be able to play some offense and, and show some skill. Um, but you also have to be able to shut things down. And that's the hardest part for a team to learn. And that's the part that Colorado did learn and Florida did not learn. And their well, power play stunk. Their power play was really bad, Florida, right. in the playoffs mm -hmm. in that first series. And they finally got one. I think it was in game three. And there was three. no plan B. There was right. no plan B. Right. They, they, didn't, they didn't know how, how to survive without that. And, and exactly, you have to be able to play more than one way. And I think that that's, I mean, everything you guys are saying is is credit to this Lightning group and, and that they figured out ways to play even with, uh, you know, not having that special teams battle all throughout the Stanley Cup final. They still took it to game six and with, with not having the bounces, with not having these things. And it's because they're built in a way that, you know, you're going to get different plays from different people. You're going to see the stammers of the world or the Nikita Kucherovs of the world get on the scoreboard. And you're also going to see, you know, a random guy like Jan Ruda get on the scoreboard. You've got Vassy between the pipes. You've got all of these things. And then to your point, Brian, I mean, the fact that they were able to shut down Colorado, Colorado's top scorers in the Stanley Cup final specifically, like when you look at the, the numbers that their top scorers 
throughout the playoffs and then you look what the what those top scores did against the Lightning, I think you have to really tip your hat to the Lightning and specifically to the Anthony Sorelli line for what they've been able to do against uh, against those top lines. They've really been able to shut down um, shut down these top lines. And I think that I, I think Anthony Sorelli specifically very, very bright future in Tampa um, and really excited to see how his game continues to unfold and how how things continue to unfold in the next few years. On that note, what are you guys most looking forward to next season? It is about, it's less than 90 days away. It seems crazy oh to say. I know I was like, P- PK said that on the on one of the post-game shows, like 80-something days away, less than Don't 90 days. Don't, Don't tell my girlfriend. Don't tell my girlfriend. I know, right? Less than 90 days away. <laughs> what are you guys most looking forward to uh, with this Lightning team in this upcoming season? Go ahead, Jay. I mean, it's got to come down to who's coming back, right? I mean, what happens with Nick Paul? And I think, you know, he is such a key. Whoever gets Nick Paul, whether it's the Lightning or somebody else, I think he is going – He his stock rose in the playoffs. I mean, one or two. I mean, the Shuskin's probably number one because they ended up winning the Cup. But Nick Paul is a 1A or number two. I mean, they're close back and forth. Uh, the stock for both those guys through the roof, and they're going to get paid. What do the lightning do? And listen, we kind of beat around the bush a little bit, but it's like, do the lightning trade some of their other guys that have been here a while? You know, our guys like Kalorn, maybe, you know, Sorelli was another guy that throughout the playoffs, somebody brought his name up. I go, I can't get rid of Anthony Sorelli, but you just never know. You got to make pieces sometimes. And I I know people always want to sign this guy or, or trade for this guy or trade for that guy. Well, a lot of times when you bring things in, Brian, you alluded to it before, got to send things out as well. So this lightning team has traded a lot of first round picks over the years. They've had to expose guys in the, in the friend and the uh, expansion draft, like Yanni Gord, uh, Julian Breezebaugh was working on this as soon as that horn, <laughs> as soon as the horn sounded for the end of game six, yeah. Julian Breezebaugh was already thinking in some capacity or some of the other front office members were like, what do we have to do? Get in contact with Nick Paul's agents. And to me, I think Andre Pallad is huge. I think you have to bring him up back at all costs. I, I over, think Andre Pallad is probably the most. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think Andre Pallad is more important to bring back than Nick Paul because I just feel like he's a guy that's been there before, and he's a guy that makes Nikita Kucherov better. He almost get, provides a safety blanket for Nikita Kucherov, where if Kuch doesn't skate back a hundred percent into the defensive zone. You have a guy like Andre Plot that's going to get back. How many times did we see it in the postseason where that third man coming into the offensive zone got a pass as the trailer and Andre Plot was the guy that lifted up his stick and knocked the puck away? That's a centerman's job usually. I mean, how many, Brian, and you know this, usually the best defensive forwards in the game, the Barkoffs, the Bergerons, the Kopitars, the Tapes, the Sorellis are centermen. How many really good wingers are defensive players? Maybe you got Mark Stone. Plot's of that same kind of ilk. You don't have that guy. You really notice his impact when he, he's gotten hurt, not this past year, but years in the past when he's out for 10, 15, 20 games. People go, how come they're not playing as strong defensively? It's not just because of the guys in the blue line, not just because of the goaltenders. It's the guys up front, not back checking, not being in the right spot at the right time. He's the guy that sets every, he's kind of the glue, not just for the line, but for the whole team. I think it's paramount to bring back Andre Pilat. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward, to, like you, to see what's the team going to look like. And, 
what it looks like at training camp is not necessarily what it's going to look like at the trade deadline too. Right. And we've certainly seen that over the last couple of years, you know, you need that, that key piece or two uh, and you try and make some deals there. So it changes right before you go into the playoffs. Uh, yeah. The, the chemistry situation, that's really important. If you're trading guys that have been with the team for a couple of years, they have a really tight knit group. And so you have to be careful that you don't damage the feel uh, that, the, that the room has too. But you know what? That goes back to the leaders on the team and, and, and the coaching staff to say, if that does happen, there's a, maybe a key guy that's gone. Okay, you know, we have to move on here. We want to win again. It's unfortunate. They're, like, they're all big boys. They, they know. They already know that not everybody's yeah. going to be back. It's impossible. And you have to keep making changes. You need that freshness. And, and uh, um, it's, it's a big job. So that's, that is the number one element that I'm looking at, too. What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? And that, that refreshing feeling. Um, they've got a couple of months off. It's, it's enough. It's been uh, two unprecedented NH seasons in NHL history because of COVID. And they win both times. 56 games, then 70 games with a month and a half, sometimes two months in between the end of supposed end of a season. And then, you know, the training camp, excuse me, the playoff bubble. I mean, it was just emotionally and psychologically really difficult two years. And then this year, try and get back to normal uh, in 82 games. That was tough. That was tough yeah. for everybody. I think that's why we all feel so tired right now because we're mm -hmm. not used to it because everything has been so off balance for the last three years. Now they're going to try and get everything back to square one and have a normal season, 82 game schedule, hopefully, and training camps on time and finish earlier in June than we did this year. So uh, that's the challenge. They have a couple of months off and Hey, you know what? It's enough. You know why? Because it has to be. Yeah. And yep. the other teams that have had four months off, you know, by the time it all you know rolls around, the teams that didn't make the playoffs, they don't want four months off again. No. You don't need that much time. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that. <laughs> so it, it, it'll be fine. But looking at seeing what the team is going to look like. Yeah, that's the number one thing. And it will look exciting and it will look potentially different. And we will keep all of you guys updated on that. Uh, getting into the final countdown. It's the last four questions we ask everybody. I will start with you, Jay. Jay, All right. what is your happy Gilmore-esque happy place? <sighs> happy Gilmore. Um, my breakfast spot that I go to on Long Island when I go visit my family, Stuff a Bagel. I've been going there since I was a kid. When I order a number four bacon, egg, and cheese, salt, pepper, ketchup, and I sit there and drink my chocolate Nesquik and I sit there and it's the same people working there for 30 years. Uh, that's my happy place for sure. There we go. Brian, what about you? Happy Gilmore-esque happy place. Wow. Uh, that's, that's a tough one. I'm not even sure. I mean, I just enjoy, I enjoy being at home. I sit on my back porch looking out at the, at the pond in the afternoon when Five five o'clock rolls around. I have a glass of wine and I sit and watch uh, the, the the neighbors and we just sit and talk out back. That's that, that's my thing. That's that's what I like to do. Lap dog in your lap? Uh, he's a little too big. He's a great Dane. I know. Sixty five pounds. Oh, that's uh, why I, I joked. I have broken legs if he sat in my lap too long. <laughs> my great Dane 
thinks he's a lap dog and tries to sit in my lap uh, as Great Danes do. They they don't they're not very spatially aware. But both of those mm-hmm. sound like great happy places. Uh, uh, question number two, Jay. If the Tampa Bay Lightning team was a person, who would they be, or how would you describe them? Oh man, this is a good one. Hmm. I would say I'm gonna go off a little bit. I'm gonna say that the Tampa Bay Lightning would be like famous actor Denzel Washington. Smooth. They could do a little bit of everything. Be a little comedic. Okay, they have character. They're respected. They're winners. So I'm going to go Denzel Washington, smooth as silk, Tampa Bay Lightning. I like that. Brian, your answer? Mm. These are are good. These are tough ones. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really putting you guys in the hot seat. I end it with the hard-hitting questions. Yeah, no kidding. Um, (laughs) Let's see. Uh, I think Tom Cruise. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mission impossible, right? They you have to adapt. Yeah, things happen, things blow up. You have to you have to deal with it and you have to win in the end. And uh, they're really good at that. Do your own like stunts that. and all of it. Uh I okay. Like if you guys could go back in time and tell your rookie season self for you, Brian, or you Jay, when you first got into uh, into radio, if you could give yourself a piece of advice back to your younger self when you first kind of started off, uh, what would that piece of advice be? Brian, we'll start with you this time. Um, I, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, I hear guys answer this question and say, uh, you know, enjoy the journey. I, I get I enjoyed the journey. Um, I think I was ready to do that. So I, I, I wouldn't have to do that. I think I would, I would say, try to keep more of your game and not, not have some of your game knocked out of you. Don't let the coaches mold you necessarily into something that they need at the time. Um, it's, it's necessity. I guess what I'm trying to say is, when you play, especially when you start out on a really good team, which I did, um, there, are, there are only certain jobs available. And so when, when everybody, every player comes out of junior college or whatever, and everybody can score goals and make plays and whatever. Well, when you go into a top team, you, they already have those guys. So if you want to play, you're going to be like bottom six, you know, the last D pair, and you're going to be doing the defensive stuff for the most part, uh, which is great. And then my career went more and more that way. Um, And after I got traded, I was able to, you know, bring that back out a little bit more. But I think I would have, I would fight a little more to not, you know, because we were taught by don't do this don't do that. There were, there was a lot of that. Don't make mistakes, especially when you're playing defense. So I know it's a long winded answer, but it's something that I have thought about over the years. And I think I would have fought to try and keep some of it in a little bit more early on in my career. That's a good J for me. I think for me, it would be, you know, something that I've learned in the last four months now, uh, being, you know, eternally single for so long is, uh, 
having work-life balance. You know, for me, when I first got into radio, I was 28, just got off a of coach baseball for 10 years or so. And I jumped so far headfirst into this occupation uh, that I just, I immersed myself in it. And, and yeah, I think that helped to get me where I'm at right now. Uh, but I also sacrificed a lot in my personal life. And I was just so focused on work all the time uh, that I, I think like at times I'm like 37 and I'm just now, you know, planning for my future. So I think that, you know, finding a little bit more balance and kind of stopping to smell the roses, maybe, you know, taking some more trips home to New York to see my family and focusing a little bit more on friendships and things like that. Uh, I think that's what I would have done, but I'm kind of like Brian in that aspect of, Hey man, I mean, what I did, you know, kind of led me to where I'm at today. And I, I, I love my life, man. I enjoy it. I enjoy doing things like this with you guys. And, uh, so I wouldn't change it, but if that was the advice, it would just be, you know, have a little bit more balance in your life. Yeah. Smell the roses a, a, a few more yeah. times. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you guys both for those answer answers. This is the final question right. and it is what's something that is outside of work. Maybe stop and smell the roses here on this podcast. What's something outside of work that brought you some joy this week? Hmm. Let's see. This week. This week. Yeah, it's been, I mean, I guess it's only That's one day. That's a tough day. question. You can, you can go back, you know, the past week or so. Jay, you went out, you, you were at the beach this morning with your girl. Well, I went to the beach. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a big aspect of it. Um, I think to me, just spending time with my girlfriend and her daughters. I mean, you know, being a single guy and then just kind of jumping right into this whole thing. Uh, to have two little kids kind of look up to you a little bit. Like I've always, I'm the oldest of four. I was a baseball coach. I was always around kids, just never my own, even though they're not technically my own, but for them to kind of look up to me and it just gives you another type of purpose, right. In life of, I'm a very self-motivated yeah. person, but to have two little girls kind of look up to me and I bought one of them like a little charger for their thing. And that just made her, her day, man. And it's, uh, it puts things in perspective. You know, I, I always said, like, I grew up in New York, but I became a man in Florida. And I feel like at 37 years old, I have really a new outlook on life. And that's why I'm very, like, appreciative. Like, Brian, I tell you, like, man, I love this. I love you guys. I try to spread good vibes and do good things to good people because life is so short, man. And, and it goes by like that. So to really treasure the, the moments and the good times that we have, because we all deal with drama. We all deal with ups and downs. Uh, but to have these, you know, three women in my life now has really made a huge impact, not just this week, but for the last couple of months or so. Yeah, good for you, Jay. That's that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I've been through the same thing. So it's great. It it does. Keeps you level. It keeps yeah. you keeps you off balance sometimes, yeah. which is good too, right? You know, there, yeah. there, there's both right. sides to it. Right. And and sometimes it'll it'll give you something that you didn't even know was there. That that's great. And for for me, it, it's it's very similar. Just coming back, Lori's great. She loves to laugh, and and our dog, you know, is it, it that's who we have at home. Uh, he's three year old, one hundred and sixty five pound Great Dane, uh, named Moda. I named him after the Moda. Swedish hockey organization, and uh, he is a kick. And it's just like having another person because he has such a literally a big presence in the house. Mm -hmm. Lori and I say it all the time, and, and it is. You have to make allowances for them. You have to take care of them, whatever. And and animals will do the damnedest things for you mm -hmm. sometimes, right? They'll they'll really change your mood for you when you need it. 
And so the combination of all three of us has, has been really, really interesting. And I, I really do appreciate it because it does become a madhouse when you're grinding through the playoffs and you never know when it's going to end. Um, and, you know, the, exha the exhaustion level can really get to you sometimes. So you need that comedic relief. And uh, I certainly can get it here at home. It's great. Yeah, Great Danes and little girls will definitely give you that comedic <laughs> relief. Uh, <laughs> I've got Great Danes and a little baby boy here. And so I yeah. Yeah, I resonate with everything that you guys are saying. Uh, you, you do need that. And uh, oftentimes it is family and loved ones outside of work that bring us a lot of joy. Mm. Uh, and, and you guys have brought me some joy by doing this. And, and hopefully this goes out into the world and brings a few other people joy. It has been a pleasure uh, to work with you guys the last few seasons to cover the lightning this past season with you guys. You guys are a joy to be around. Thank you so much for coming on Miked Up. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Kaylee. Thanks, Kaylee. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you again to Jay and Brian for coming on and hanging out with me for a little bit. I hope that you guys enjoyed our conversation uh, and I will for sure talk to them again and have them on again because they were a blast to talk to and hang out with. This has been Miked Up with Kaylee Mizell. Thank you so much for listening. Send it to a friend who you think would enjoy it. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers today or exploretoyota.com and take advantage of the amazing deals on our full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.